invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. You all did a good job singing today. I tell you that Jesus holds my hand. If that doesn't make you tap your toe, you uh, you might not have a toe tapper left. Uh, so one, one of the churches where I was music minister, that was a song that was in one of our cantatas that we did. I, I don't remember if it was a Christmas or an Easter cantata, but uh, one of our deacons that was in the choir, he uh, he said, Brother Andy, I've got a problem. I said, what's that? He goes, I don't know if I can sing that song and stand still or not. And uh, I said, well, clap your hands, tap your toe, whatever you need to do. He said, well, I'm afraid people might think I'm Pentecostal. Uh, I said, oh, I don't think you got to worry about that. But, uh, that. That song will make you tap your toes. <laughs> if we had a tenor and an alto, we'd have it going on, wouldn't we? Uh, the word for our study the last few weeks, the key word has been the word submission. And that's a word that we generally don't like. We hear that and we kind of <coughs> bounce back a little bit and we, we think, well, I'm going to stand up for myself and I'm going to have my opinion heard. And especially in our world today, everybody with social media and different things they, they want to get heard. They want to have their opinion founded. And, and we've talked about being submissive to our government. We've talked about being submissive to our employer and our master. And last week, we talked about being uh, Jesus Christ being our example of submission. How the fact that when uh, he was uh, in heaven, he was God. He came to earth. He humbled himself in that way. And he also humbled himself on the cross, didn't he? He couldn't, uh, Jesus very well could have, with everyone mocking him and spitting on him and putting that crown of thorns and beating him and, and making fun of him as he sat on the cross. Jesus could have easily said, you know what, I'm God, I've had enough of this, and called down a legion of angels, right? But he didn't. And so our example from Jesus is to be submissive, and the word Christian means Christ-like, right? So if Jesus was submissive, we too need to be submissive. And by way of introduction, our, our text today is 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7, and the title of today's lesson is The Christ Follower in the Home. And by way of introduction, the home is one of three institutions that's been ordained by God. The home, the church, and the government are three God-ordained institutions, and the oldest of these institutions is the home. If you want to know where the home was instituted by God, keep your finger here in 1 Peter 3, and let's go to Genesis, all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, and to get the full context of, of this, we're going to start at verse 18. Genesis 2, beginning at verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Uh, the, the King James says, I will make a help meet for him. That word meat, it's not meat like we would meet, uh, eat meat. That's meat like it's comparable. So he says, man needs someone comparable to him. Verse 19, out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air 
and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And what Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not a found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God instituted the home here in Genesis chapter 2, and he tells us the way that he wanted home to be. When God designed the home, it was God's design that one man and one woman would leave home, join themselves to each other, come together, and be one unit. The home is designed by God. Now today, a lot of people have a lot of different ideas as to how the home ought to operate. But can I suggest to you, and I fully believe this with all my heart, we would do well to follow the pattern that God gave us. When we get away from God's pattern, we start running into, well, whose pattern shall we follow? This person's pattern, that person's pattern. This one's as good as that one. Can I tell you there's only one God, and we're not it? So we need to be <laughs> submissive to his pattern. But as we go back to 1 Peter chapter 3, there are several scriptures in the Bible that deal with the home, but the paragraph in front of us today is 1 Peter 3, 1 to 7. So we're going to stay within this paragraph for the most part this morning. 1 Peter 3, beginning at verse 1. Wives likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they, that's unbelieving husbands, observe your, that's wives, chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as believing heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. So first of all, we see in verses 1 through 4, Peter tells wives, wives be submissive to your husbands. <clears throat> and before we jump into this paragraph, I want to state a couple of things up front. First of all, as far as our relationship with Jesus is concerned, male and female are equal. Male Christians are not more precious in God's sight than female Christians. In fact, Paul said in Galatians 3.28 that
There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. As far as equality and standing before God, male and female are, different, are the same. They're equal. However, God has designed different roles for the man and different roles for the woman in the home. He's also done the same thing in the church. And maybe a good way to explain this uh, before we get into our text is to look at the idea of the Trinity. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons made up one God. We believe in, in a foundation of our Christian faith Going all the way back to uh, the, the Jewish faith, there is one God. And we believe that God is seen distinctly in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three are equal. All three are equal God. The Holy Spirit is not less God than God the Father. Jesus Christ is not more God than the Holy Spirit. They are all God. Without one of those... You wouldn't have a complete Godhead. That, that we, we use that term Godhead. However, even though they were all equal in rank, they are different in function. Jesus Christ became the living God. Jesus Christ became flesh. He humbled himself. The book of Philippians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus humbled himself and became a little lower than the angels. Jesus made himself man. Even though Jesus was still fully God, he submitted while he was on earth to the will of God. Over and over, Jesus says, I'm here to do my Father's will. Remember at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, Father, if, 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 if it could happen, please let this cup pass from me. But not my will, your will. Jesus, even though he was equally God, he realized in his role, it was submissive to the Father. The Holy Spirit, when he come along, he did not say, well, now, y'all, it's my time to shine. We don't worry about God the Father and God the Son. This is all about the Holy Spirit basically explains and exalts Jesus. <laughs> Jesus told his apostles when the Comforter came that the Comforter would explain and teach and recall to their remembrance those things that Jesus taught them. The the, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is simply an extension of the ministry of Jesus Christ. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All God, all equal in rank, but different in function. Does that make sense? So when we come to this passage in 1 Peter, we find that there are two institutions where God has given us an order according to our roles within that institution, and that's the home and the church. Notice as we start this paragraph, this command is similar to Peter's previous commands. He starts out by saying, wives, likewise. Well, what does he mean by likewise? He says, well, like we've talked about, the Christian is to be subject to the government powers. The Christian is to be subject to his employer. Uh, in Peter's day, it was slave and master. Today it's employer and employee. Now he says, wives, you are to be submissive. And then also this command is very specific. He says you are to be uh, submissive to who? Your own husbands. God doesn't call for 
Wives, to be submissive to everybody else's husband. You're submissive to your own husband. Your home unit is your unit. Husband, wife, and if God blesses, children. And there are roles within that organization, within that institution, that God has planned for us. So it's similar, it's specific. This command is not dependent either on the spiritual status of the husband. Notice the next phrase. Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word. That, those are unbelieving husbands. If some don't obey the word, and what I really believe happens in this context, I think in this context, when you read the Greek and the different commentaries that I've read, I, I'm very limited in, in my Greek and Hebrew skills, but I have commentators I trust that are, are skilled. They tell us <clears throat> that what uh, Peter here is, is talking about is the fact those wives that have become Christians after they were married. When the church was established and the, the wife heard the word and became a Christian, uh, Peter here is saying, don't leave them. Don't, don't be separated. Matter of fact, Paul said in, in, first, Tim, uh, in first Corinthians that if a, a believing wife has an unbelieving husband or vice versa, let them stay together if they can. So, uh, well, why? Why should a Christian wife stay with her husband? Why should a Christian wife be submissive to her husband? For at least two purposes. First of all, this is God's plan. Uh, and when the, God has laid out his plan, we, we ought to stick to it. Uh, have you ever... And fellas, maybe y'all are better at this than, than women. But have you ever tried to put together something and say, oh, I don't need those instructions? And uh, when you get in the middle of it, you think maybe you'd have been better off if you had read the instructions in the first place. Or maybe you wives are getting ready to cook something and you start cooking and you get away from the recipe. And when you get to the end of it, it doesn't turn out like you'd like to because you got away from the plan. Well, Wives should submit to their husband because, first of all, it's God's plan. But secondly, so that unbelieving husbands might be one to the Lord. We need to remember that as Christians, more than anything else, our focus is on heaven. Remember how Peter started this letter to these exiles when he said, You all, you've been born again to a living hope. You're part of a living body. We need to be thinking about heaven and eternal things. And the greatest thing an unbelieving husband can do for his wife is to try to lead her to the Lord. The greatest thing an unbelieving wife can do, or that a believing wife can do for an unbelieving husband is to try to lead him to the Lord. The most important thing we as Christian parents can do is to try to lead our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our bosses, our government officials, to the Lord. Well, how do we do that? Peter answers that. Peter says that likewise, wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word might be won by the conduct of their wives. This is an interesting clause to me because I'm a preacher. And I fully believe that 
Most people obey the gospel because somebody teaches them. Somebody preaches the gospel to them. Somebody reads scripture to them. Paul even says in Romans, uh, how can they believe if they haven't heard and how can they hear if they don't have a preacher and how can they have a preacher if somebody doesn't send them. But in this case, Peter says, wives, if you're a believer and your husband's not a believer, if you're the kind of wife you ought to be, you can lead your husband to the Lord without a word. Don't be the kind of wife that takes her Bible to her husband and says, you're going to come to the Lord if I have to beat you half to death with this Bible. And that's the way we get sometimes when we're trying to witness to people. You know, we want to beat them over the head with the Bible. All of us, y'all, the best way we can share the gospel with somebody is our lifestyle. People are concerned about not only what we say, but how we act and how we live and how we do and how we walk. So that they may be won by the conduct of their wives. Well, what does that look like? He says, it's not by your words, but it's by your conduct. Chaste conduct. That's conduct characterized by purity. Be a pure wife. Accompanied by fear. Now by that fear, it doesn't mean that you cower. We're going to talk about that here a little bit later. It's talking about being respectful. Be respectful to your husband. With that idea of submission, be respectful to your boss. Be respectful to the governing authorities. Be respectful. So not by your words, but by your conduct. And then he says in verse 3 and 4, don't focus on the wrong things. He says, don't let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. There are some people that take this verse and say it's wrong for women to put their hair up and wear jewelry and, and to wear nice dresses. I don't think that's what Peter's saying here. Uh, in the Greek, it carries with it the idea of not wearing merely, don't focus merely on your outward, or really it comes out to don't focus mostly on the outward, but rather focus on the inward. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the in the King James, if you look at the end of verse 3, he's very, it's very clear. It says, uh, putting on of clothes. Is it wrong to wear clothes? If you say that it's wrong for a woman to wear jewelry and put her hair up nice, you'd have to say it's wrong to put on clothes. And that's not what Peter is talking about here. Peter is talking about a focus. Focus on purity. Focus on uh, the inside. I just got curious when I was reading this passage and I went to Google and I got this off the internet so it's bound to be right. Uh, if you get because it's on the internet, it's got to be true. But there was a company called Skin Store and they did a survey of 3,000 American women. And they found out when in their survey of 3,000 American women that the average American woman in the United States spends around $300,000 on makeup in her lifetime. And before we men say, boy, you women sure are wasting a lot of money. Fellas, we have our golf clubs and guns and tools and boats and campers. 
And I don't know if the average woman spends that much money or not. I, I, I told them when I was getting this lesson together, I told my clerks that worked for me at the prison, I said, y'all, guess what I just read? I said, it says the average American woman spends $300,000 in a lifetime, or in her lifetime on makeup, and one of them says, that's not near enough. <laughs> that may be why he's single. But the point that I'm making is this. Ladies, don't focus on the outside, making yourself pretty. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with looking nice, putting your makeup on, putting your jewelry on, and going out for a nice stroll on the town with your husband, your boyfriend, your girlfriends, whoever. But put more focus on what's inside. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. There are a lot of beautiful <coughs> women out there that are beautiful on the outside and ugly on the inside. There are a lot of people that are narcissistic. Ladies, there are a lot of good-looking men that are scoundrels on the inside. If we want to be pleasing to God, we need to be focusing on the inner person. That hidden person of the heart, verse 4 tells us with an incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Real beauty isn't something you wear. Real beauty isn't something you see in a mirror. Real beauty is something that you are. We have a lot of grandmothers in our audience here today. Grandmothers, our granddaughters need to hear that it's important who you are on the outside. Now we need to take care of ourselves and try to, to, to take pride in how we look. But it's that inner person. That's the stuff that's going to last. Because y'all, beauty fades. We might not want to admit it. Every day I look in the mirror and say, where did this old man come from? Y'all do that? Beauty fades. But have you ever met someone that the older they are, the more beautiful they become? Because it's that inner person, that inner person of the heart, that incorruptible part of the heart. He says here, verse 4, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty Outer beauty fades. Nobody can take what's inside of you away from you. You can't take away a godly heart. A gentle and quiet spirit. These character traits aren't promoted by women in our society today. And can I say that I don't think there's anything wrong with a woman having a job. I don't think there's anything wrong with a woman working. If that's the situation, especially if that's a situation in their home life where both Parents have to work. To ha I know. I understand we live in different times and a different world. But do you want me to tell you what is wrong? Those people that belittle and make fun of women who make it a priority to raise kids and to work in the home. Because parents, I don't care. I, this is daddies, mamas, granddaddies, grandmamas. I don't care what job we might have. 
the most important job we have is bringing up our children and grandchildren in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Amen. Building them up on the inside. Teaching them the things that are important. So much stuff in this world is fleeting. So much stuff in this world is temporary. I'm afraid we may find as a country that we're not nearly as rich as we think we are because it may all be gone. But you know what? They can take away our beauty. They can take your makeup. They can take your golf clubs. They can take your house. But they can't take away your joy. They can't take away who you are on the inside. And they can't take away that relationship you have with Jesus Christ. And they can't take away where you're going. Amen? Amen. <coughs> Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Even if some don't obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear... Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And now Peter gives us some examples. Peter says, For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. In former times, that's talking about Old Testament times, women like Rachel and Rebecca and Hannah, they adorned themselves in this manner. What did they adorn? They adorned themselves, verse 4, in a gentle, quiet spirit, with the heart, with the kind of heart that they ought to have. But a very interesting phrase in verse 5, for in this manner in former times, holy women who did what? Trusted in God. Y'all, we need to learn to trust God. A woman can trust in her own ability to influence and control her husband. Or she can trust God and be submissive to her husband. A woman can trust her outer beauty and adornment. Or she can trust God and cultivate a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, society tells us God's way is bad. God's way is old-fashioned. God's way is outdated. But can I tell you that it all comes back to trusting God? Are we going to do it God's way or are we going to do it our way? Are we going to listen to the Lord or are we going to listen to our friends and our neighbors and psychologists and educators? Are we going to follow society advice or are we going to trust God? Peter then reminds us of Sarah's relationship with Abraham. Sarah respected Abraham as her husband and she also submitted him and calling him Lord or Master. This word Lord is not calling him God, it's calling him Master. It's a small L. That comes out of Genesis 18, 12, by the way. And we find that women who act that way are called daughters of Sarah. So ladies, this morning I ask you, are you all daughters of Sarah? Then he says, verse 6, 
As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, do the right thing, do these things in verses 3 through 5, and are not afraid with any terror. This, is a, this last clause is a, different, is a difficult phrase. There are some words in Greek that we don't have in English, and there are some English words that Koine Greek did not have, and so we have to do the best we can translating, and that's the way this phrase is. And I've got several different commentaries on 1 Peter, and it, they didn't help a whole lot. Uh, they, matter of fact, some of them ignored it altogether, and I'm thinking, oh, a lot of help y'all are. <laughs> you ever notice that in commentaries sometimes? There's difficulty, they'll skip right over that part. I found out they don't know any better than we do, right? But I tell you, the, one of the best helps I got was out of the New Living Translation. It translates this phrase, without fear of what your husband might do. And I think in the context of this paragraph, that's a good translation. Because we're basically talking about an unbelieving wife who's trying to lead a believing husband to Christ. What Peter is telling them, you follow Christ no matter what your husband might do. Don't let your husband talk you out of worshiping and being the kind of woman God wants you to be. But that phrase being said, I want to say this, and this is going to lead us into verse 7, and we're going to be done. Matter of fact, we'll make up verse 7 next week. But here's, here, I do want to say this before we leave today. God does not call for a woman to stay in an abusive situation that's dangerous for herself or for her children. Sometimes certain situations call for separation for physical and or mental health. I'm going to repeat that. Just because Peter said, don't be afraid with any terror, God does not call for a woman to stay in an abusive situation that's dangerous for herself or her children. Sometimes certain situations call for separation for physical or mental health. Women, I do not think God has in its plan that you let a husband or let a man, let your husband beat the tar out of you <coughs> or abuse your children. There's a time you need to get away. Now, maybe that marriage can be worked out. Maybe it can. I think divorce is a last ditch. I believe marriage is forever. I preach that, I teach that, I'll I, I, I believe that till my dying day. I believe divorce is a last, a last straw. But I do also believe that men ought not be hitting on women and kids. I don't believe God intends a woman to stand and let that happen. With that being said, husbands, God has been playing about what kind of wife, how wives ought to act. He's been playing how husbands ought to act either, <coughs> or, or ought to act as well. And, and we'll talk about this next week because I really can't uh, get, have enough time to, to get into what we need to. But God, or but husbands, one of the reasons wives may not be the kind of wife that God has called them to be Maybe because as husbands, we're not the kind of husbands God calls us to be. Because it all starts with us. God has put us as heads of the home. Uh, but it's 
But that head of that home does not mean I'm the boss and just with an iron fist and a and an iron glove. And we'll we'll talk more about that next week because I fully believe, and I'm kind of going out of out on a limb when I say this, but I fully believe more than anything else, our homes need the kind of husbands and fathers God has called them to be. I believe our churches need the kind of men that God, is. We, we don't raise men to be pastors and deacons and Bible school teachers anymore. We've lost our focus on why we're here. So we're going to talk about this next week, and I hope you come back because it's important. It's important not because I'm preaching. It's important because this is what God says. And I am convinced, I said this last week, I am convinced if America is going to, regain its strength. If America is going to be great again, it's not be, going to be because of some politician. If America is going to be great again, it's because our homes become great and solid and strong. Our homes become strong. Our families become strong. Our churches become strong. And our churches become the influence on society that they used to have. See, we flip-flopped it. We've let society influence the church. And it should be the other way around. Amen. So Lord willing, that's where we're going to go next week. So we'll get this last. Now, I really want us to focus on the last part of the verse 7 next week. Fellas, did you know the way you treat your wife has, has a big influence on whether or not God's going to listen to your prayers? We'll talk about that next week.